to be consumed by the universe in one of its most perfect forms, well, that's the highest destiny one can achieve. That is one interpretation. Did this come naturally, or, or did you um, attend some special martial arts class for the philosophically inclined? Mostly fit, could stand to lose a few pounds of hair. Hello and welcome to Who Are You? This is a Babylon 5 watchcast hosted by two former strangers, now friends, who have gotten to know each other while re-watching one of their favorite shows from their childhood, Babylon 5. I'm Jafer. And I'm Laura. Hi, I'm Scott. <laughs> Scott. Hi, Scott. Hi. Scott from Grace 17 is here with us today, and that means, Scott, today we get to ask you, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Do you know who I am? Well, I've been trying to figure that out for nearly 40 years, but thanks for making me answer the question. Uh, you know, when I, you look at my LinkedIn page, it says father, volunteerism expert, community organizer, podcaster, and all-around busy guy. So I think that pretty much covers it. But for this case, I, as of last week... I have been a Babylon 5 fan for 30 years and now host Gray 17, Babylon 5 podcast where we have a bunch of newbies and also first ones we like to call ourselves, those who have watched the mm -hmm. entire show, watching together. And it is really fun to frustrate my newbies because they can only watch, watch one episode at a time and I have them ask <laughs> questions and give predictions and then I tell them to leave before I answer them all for them. So it's great. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be quite the experience for them when they finish and they go back and listen, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, I've told them all they're going to they're going to hate listen the whole show again because the <laughs> section that they couldn't hear the first time. And uh, I'm looking forward to all of the, the text messages and the phone calls about how much of a jerk I was for two and a half years making them wait. It was great. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure that will be a lot of fun. I know we've got some overlap in our listenership as well. So mm -hmm. some people in our Discord are commenting about when your newbies get their predictions right or wrong. We'll see those come in from time to time. I just joined your Discord, so I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, if you scroll, there's a handful you'll see okay. from both you and the, the Babylon 5 for the first time guys. Sometimes their predictions make it into our Discord too. Their predictions are interesting, to say the so. least. <laughs> so I'm doing the napkin math. If you're almost 40-ish, then you were probably about the same age as Jafar and I when you watched it the first time, yes? Yeah, I was born in 1983, so I watched it when okay. I was at the ripe old age of nine. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> Jafar heard this when we did our League of Non-Aligned podcast, but I actually found Babylon 5 because I was watching another show on the Prime Time Entertainment Network, which was Time Tracks. Because I was a big Quantum Leap fan. So I was like, ooh, it's Quantum Leap with cops. And so I was watching that, and then they had a trailer for The Gathering. I was like, oh, well, I like Star Trek. Let's do this, too. Yeah, yeah, sure. Star Trek is the gateway drug for a lot of things, isn't it? It is. It is. For sure. And Quantum Leap, in my case. <laughs> mm, true, true. Have you, have you watched the Quantum Leap reboot? I have. And you know is what? Good? I enjoy it. Okay. Here's, here's, That's not a, not, you didn't say good. yes. So, yeah, yeah, this is a this is a whole like other podcast we could have. But what I like about it is one, it's not a reboot, it's a continuation. Mm -hmm. 
And actually, if you're a Quantum Leap fan, Ernie Hudson, and this is not a spoiler, it's like in the third episode they tell you this, Ernie Hudson is playing a character that Sam leapt into in the original show. And so he talks about how he lost time and so forth and so on. And I also like it because unlike the original show where it was Sam and Al the whole time and you really never got, you know, the, the, the 90s people, this, it, the show splits its time between mm-hmm. what's happening in the past and what's happening with Project Quantum Leap, which is why Ernie Hudson's actually a fairly big part of it. So I've, I'm enjoying it. And I'm just hoping sooner or later they, you know, bring back Sam. But That's Scott perfect. Bakula says he's not going to be in the show. I think he's lying. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> I'm sure you hand Scott Bakula a big enough bucket of money. Yeah. It's all about the dump truck of money, isn't it? It's like right. uh, like the MCU when Robert Downey Jr. said, I'm done with Iron Man. Oh, here's a dump truck of money. Okay, cool. Thanks. Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll be that. back. Where is this Quantum Leap reboot at? I'm just it curious. It is on NBC. It. it actually is a network show still. Whoa. <laughs> but you can you can watch it on Peacock. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. I think, they have, I think they, they have six episodes left this season and they ordered a second season. So it's getting at least enough people watching it to where it's going to get a second sure. season. All right. Yeah. So welcome so, to this Quantum Leap podcast. I'm glad you guys have joined us. Yeah. <laughs> Put it on the to-do list. We're all very busy, but we mm-hmm. might find the time. Well, speaking of people who lost time, we have something <laughs> lost in today's episode. We sure do. We've got Zing. season three, episode 19. It was a good segue. Gray 17 is missing. The, the namesake for your podcast, Scott. I know. My guys still have not seen, my newbies haven't seen Gray 17 is missing because we're in season two. So it's, uh, the one joke I had was, we named it the podcast because as you'll find out, I have thoughts about this episode. But when I named this podcast, I recruited the the newbies, which are all friends of mine from mostly college. Mm-hmm. And I said, and welcome to the team. We'll meet on, we'll meet on Gray 17. And Jesse, who's one of our newbies, went on Google and searched Gray 17 because she thought it was some kind of messaging app that she didn't have. Uh, oh. And so she was confused. She's like, well, you're going to message me on that. I got to download it. I'm like, no, Jesse, no, it's okay. You've got another two years before you, you watch this treasure of an episode. So you're fine. Yeah. Two years. You'll get the joke then. <laughs> it's a slow burn. It is. So this episode is kind of infamously on most people's top five worst episode list it, it's that that list for most people is grail tko believers and a late delivery from avalon along with this episode is what i saw i i take umbrage with a number of those i what? do too yeah we we have i have thoughts on that list alone yeah i like most of those episodes i uh, love grail grail's great jinxo i for some when I did my show on Grail and we actually interviewed Tom Booker and he's, he's a, he's just a class act. But for some reason, again, as Laura asked, you know, I was nine, mm-hmm. maybe just ripely 10 when Grail came out. And I just, I attached myself to Jinxo. I don't know why. So that character is really important to me. Yeah. He's got a, a childlike aspect that's probably appealing mm-hmm. in your certain age. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. 39 year old, same idea. Childlike. It's fine. <laughs> so most of these episodes I kind of dreaded before recording for this most recent rewatch because I didn't have fond memories of them. And then in the more critical, more analytical podcast rewatch where I'm sitting there, I'm taking notes, I'm reading, I'm analyzing. 
I grew to really like most of these episodes. And I felt the same way at the start of this one where I'm okay. like, oh, do I want to? Oh, okay, we'll watch it. I'm just wondering if I was alone at that particular thought. Hmm. Well, Did you dread my... this before? I don't want to know how you feel about it after. After yeah. this rewatch, we'll get to it when we get to rating the episode. But before you sat down to watch this episode, were you dreading it? I'll, I'll share my thoughts first. I remembered this episode through my my childlike lens, you know, probably mm-hmm. watching it at nine or ten or whatever. And I remembered it being very spooky and being very intimidated by this episode. Yeah. Bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> I, re- I remembered it as something that was going to be very creepy And then when I watched it, I was like, oh, why was I scared of this episode? It was my experience. I had completely forgot about Robert England. How can you forget about Robert England, sir? Well, I mean, not like as a person, like I remember that he existed, but like I forgot that he was in this episode. Yeah, that's true. He is creepy. Yeah. For for me, I mean, it's obvious that I have a special place in my heart for Grey 17. So I wasn't really dreading it. But the one thing that's weird for me is... Since we've been recording our show, I have made it to where I, I'm watching with the newbies. And the last time mm-hmm. I binged Babylon Five was I, it was pre-pandemic. It was probably 2019. So I haven't watched seasons two, three, four, and five in nearly four years. And so it's really weird to me jumping into Gray Seventeen is missing because I'm like, oh, look, they're wearing the Army of Light uniforms and stuff. This is <laughs> different. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely a, a certain point in time in the show. I just want to know where the budget from DeGrath went. Yeah. <laughs> well, we open Indeed. on the aforementioned Army of Light recruiting telepaths when someone I can only describe as if Dane Cook were John Edwards comes through the line to try and cold read Zach. And I think you're real cute, too. Yeah. <laughs> in a world where telepaths are real... How many people do you really get trying to do the psychic grift anymore? Like, I understand <laughs> this guy wants a job, but that line was pretty long. I'm not. I'm questioning the Drazi's telepath abilities. Who's like second in line or third in line? Yeah, yeah. we don't. We don't get much about Drazi telepaths, do we? No, not much. No. For me, this is just telegraphing the humor you're going to get with this episode. And if you don't laugh at this joke, oh man. It's going to be a long ride for you. (laughs) We cut over to Sheridan's office to discuss recruitment with Ivanova when they remember that, oh yeah, there's a ton of telepaths that owe us a solid. We should probably (laughs) figure that out. I'm sure this won't have long-term repercussions for the story. Yeah, it's too bad we shut that thing down, you know, back in season two. Two. Yeah. (laughs) Early season two. Early. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we could have had a nice supply here. I That was the other thing I was thinking, you know, we have a, an underground railroad that we have to get these telepaths away from Psychor in season two, right? And yet in the hallway, when Zach is interviewing people, there's this big long line and it's not like it's all drowsy. You know, it's there's a lot, a lot of humans. humans. <laughs> there's a lot of humans in that line. <laughs> How did they get there? Did the, you know? Bester's not doing Psychor his job. just forget? Yeah. yeah. Bester's just slacking. Won't be fives out of his jurisdiction now. Mm, that's true. After this, we cut over to our maintenance worker, Tom Barry, an actor of some renown. Really? <laughs> for Do his tell. bit part here. 
He's Michael Jordan's dad in Space Jam. Just off <laughs> the bat. This is true. This is true. He has nice. hundred something other acting credits. He's been all over the place, but Space Jam. Mm-hmm. He's, so. he's definitely that guy character actor. He's like, oh, I recognize that guy from something. He's been all over, but he gets got to theme. Scott, I have a question for you. The answer is 42. <laughs> That's a weird answer to the question. Are you a theme skipper? Am I a theme skipper? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know what app you're watching oh, on these oh, days. Oh, I get what you're you asking me. the theme? I get what you're asking me. I usually do. However, because I am still knee deep in season two, and actually season three has a really good one, I did, <laughs> yes. I did watch it. I did. That is my follow-up is what's your favorite of the B5 themes? I'm a big fan of the music and I think season four has the best March theme. Mm -hmm. Okay. But in terms of the narrative, I like season five because you get all of our characters. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I also like the Ivanova one, you know, it was our last best hope for peace. It failed. But I like the one where it was, it was a time of, you know, strife. It was a time of blah, 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 yeah. blah, 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 blah. I like, yeah. the, I like that narrative. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I like the narratives, too. I think that that part just gets better and better throughout the whole show. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Over at the Hall of Justice, Delenn and Ruthen are talking about Sinclair while Lanier goes through his shit. <laughs> just like, here's his stuff. Here's his Battle of the Line award. Here's his Ranger pin. Mm-hmm. It all fits in this one box. So I was wondering to myself why the Sinclair aviation that was on his wall in season one isn't in that box. But if you go on eBay right this second, yeah, okay. If you go on eBay, the original prop is up for about eight grand. So somebody stole it out of his quarters and is now selling on eBay. Yeah, I almost bought it and then a friend got me the one for my wall there as a compromise. But I am strongly considering using that and getting a chunk of sheet metal and recreating the prop. I like that. I like that. You can make yeah. some money off Etsy on that sucker. Yeah. yeah. Also, I want to make one of the giant wooden shields. Oh, um, I will. I will. I will uh, pay you to make two. Okay. I am not currently accepting woodworking commissions because I'm <laughs> I'm on my last project of the, my last batch of woodworking commissions. But when those open up again, I'll make sure I let you know. Excellent. Well, speaking of going through people's stuff, Michael Garibaldi also has an antique gun that his grandmother carried when mm-hmm. she was a Boston police officer, I believe he said. Yep. This begs the question, was his dad also a graduate of homeschool security club? <laughs> God. Mm. <laughs> it's it's a homeschool tradition in the Garibaldi family. Yeah. I think. I was losing my damn mind here. Like, I guess having the gun isn't so bad. We later find out he also has bullets for it, which is crazy. But we'll get to that when we get there. I will say nine times out of ten. And then Jerry Doyle is really doing a lot of work here for his future talk show audience talking about this gun, the way he describes it. But he does at least have good trigger discipline. His finger is never actually on the trigger of the firearm. And as someone who worked at a gun range in high school, like that's something I'm always looking for when they've got guns in TV shows is trigger discipline. Jerry Doyle has it. So I will 
make a note of appreciation for that at the very least. Yeah, very important. He gets a lead at the title story, and he goes to investigate the missing maintenance worker. After this, Ivanova apparently missed the day of middle school where they taught everyone the word incognito as she finds Franklin going through stim withdrawals, just walking around down below in her full uniform. Yeah. Every time Garibaldi goes into down below, he puts on like the brown jacket, you know, mm-hmm. the like bombery jacket, very casual, the 90s button up with the weird geometric pattern on it. Mm-hmm. But Ivanova doesn't have time for any of that. I, I got to apologize for last episode, everybody. I criticized last episode very hard for not projecting any uh, Franklin withdrawals. And here he explains to us that it's a delayed reaction. So in yes. Walkabout, where he's having no reaction at all to being no longer on stems, it's all here in Gray 17, apparently. Thank you, JMS, for this throwaway line. If nothing <laughs> else in this episode, thank you for this throwaway line. This is the kind of thing that I normally bitch about at the end of an episode where it's all like, this one line could have handled so many plot issues. And we actually got it this time. So yeah. thank you. So he just made me eat my words. Franklin tells Ivanova where the telepath backups are, so long as they stop checking up on him every other episode. His stash is hidden in a folder named Harriet. I always use the save game folder in my documents, hidden in plain sight, but each their own. Now everyone's taking notes. Okay. When I want to <laughs> break into his computer, I just go to the save game files. Got it. Just stay out of tax documents. That's pretty dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> Garibaldi talks to the maintenance supervisor and learns of Gray 17's missing floor. There are only 29 floors in Gray Sector, despite there being 30 on the uh, official registry. Yeah, on the blueprints, we drew 30, but when we built this thing, we just kind of forgot. Somebody just kind of miscounted. Right. To the surprise of no one listening to this podcast, I did look at diagrams of the station at this point to go, <laughs> well, the station is like built in sections. So if there's 30 in the one next to it, there'd have to be th- like, it's not like you just shrink, but the station actually does shrink at Gray Sector. Hmm. It's towards the back before you get this bit that doesn't spin, which is zero gravity manufacturing area. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. As I learned from reading schematics. Now, that's the thing that I want to see in the reboot, is I want to see zero-G manufacturing. Give me <laughs> that. <laughs> here, here, Sure, okay, your schematics goofed up or whatever. Some guy actually made the Gray 17 sign, because it's on both decks, and uh-huh. put it next to the elevator. So, <laughs> it's one thing to say, oh, we just, you know, it was never open to the public. To another, like, well, we just labeled both of them Gray 17, and then shut that one down. I'm like, mm. JMS, you didn't put much time into this one, did you? I would have so preferred if he had asked for Gray 17 and then just got dropped on Gray 18. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it probably should have been. Like, you know, when you go to a hotel in the United States, most hotels don't have a floor 13. It goes from yeah. 12 mm-hmm. to 14. So that would have made more sense. Instead, it's like, eh, we just built this floor and then forgot about it. Really, the episode titled Gray 17 is Missing is misleading because it's not missing. It's right there. It happens to be Gray 18, but it is there. Uh, A better episode title, it's not as catchy, but maybe 
hear me out. There are two gray 17s, but we only have one because of a labeling issue. Hmm? Is How about that... we just call it the one with Nehrun and Robert England? That works. Yeah. <laughs> the one with Freddie and Scar. <laughs> yeah. I like yep. it. Sheridan affirms to Delenn that she is the one who should take over for Entelza, congratulating her as uh, she tells him that she wants a ceremony to take place at Babylon 5 to make the knowledge of the Rangers more public. Sheridan then steps out stage right as Naroon walks on stage left immediately. <laughs> and I got to say, Naroon goes full conspiracy theory guy here, but he's not saying anything that's wrong. Hmm. You know, the Len did disband the Grey Council. Yeah. She yeah. did start military built up in the religious caste and not that's traditionally a warrior caste duty. And now she's making a play to control a branch of the military. A religious zealot propelled by prophecy into a position of military and political power. Always a bad idea. Ope. Right. <laughs> but it's not the way it sounds, Jafar. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's because we know Delenn. Right. But this isn't as crazy as, you know, jet fuel doesn't melt steel beams. This is... This is actual, kind of grounded a little bit, and it almost made me a little bit more sympathetic to Naroon here. Yeah, this is some legitimate grievance from his point of view. Until he beats the shit out of Marcus later, and then that all goes away. But for a minute... See, Naroon is one of my favorite characters. So I, I love the arc that Naroon goes on from being asshole you hate to asshole who is okay. I like that. He's still an asshole, but he's okay. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking about that arc with other characters and how you could explore that a little further than we did in the 90s. Like the 90s didn't have as much of that sort of you had clear defined roles for everybody. You know, this person was supposed to be the action hero and this person was supposed to be the damsel in this. And I feel like this show explores a little bit more of the subtleties of people than some other shows. Also, can we just give a shout out to Delenn real quick? for the strength of character for when Naroon quotes Valen at her about how <laughs> things are supposed to be. Uh -huh. Like, bitch, don't quote Valen to me. I have passed the bong to Valen. Don't, don't come with that shit. <laughs> I'll have you know Valen and I got married. It was great. <laughs> right? Delenn denies ambition like we expect her to. Sure. And Naroon tells us that zealots should never run the military. Which, mm. and then Lanier shows up as Naroon makes Delenn feel like Commissioner Gordon. He does that. He does. He does pull a Batman here, doesn't he? Right. He just vanishes, just straight up. Garibaldi is counting the floors while Lanier is like, "This motherfucker is gonna kill you." Mm. And Delenn denies it immediately. It's all like Mimbari, don't kill Mimbari. It's all like no. No, he's made it clear he's not going to just say harsher words to you. One of my yeah. favorite linear lines ever, by the way. I love that line. Bill Mooby plays that so well. Mm -hmm. like, I'm pretty yes. sure we've moved past harsh words. Yeah. yeah. She's forgetting that when you go through the, the cocoon, are you really still Mimbari to some? I'm sure there's a chunk of the Mimbari population that would easily roll that out as an excuse for not breaking the Mimbari on Mimbari violence. Yeah. This one is not really Mimbari, so it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The lens like snitches get stitches, Lanier. You can't tell nobody. 
Garibaldi finds Gray 17 and then finds the real Gray 17. Mm-hmm. It is a mess. We've already described it a little. There's the two Gray 17 signs. Everything is just strung about. Clearly, station maintenance has not spent any time here in the last couple of years. It, I, I wonder how it got this bad, to be perfectly honest. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess not that the, many of them. The Zarg, yeah. and there's a couple humans, but like this looks like it has been under siege. This looks like it's a shelled road in Warren. Like, this is not a pretty place. It's very foggy. Do you notice, too, when he was doing the his elevator count, that Gray's 1 through 16 were, like, pristinely clean, even for Gray mm-hmm. sector. And then yeah. when he goes down to Gray 17B, it's got some trash and stuff. So it's yeah. like, it, once we get past, like, Gray 16, do we just, like, stop caring? Do the maintenance guys skip out on those? I'm, I'm not entirely sure what's going on. Yeah, they get to 16 and it's like, oh, shift's over. Gotta go. <laughs> or the Zarg eats them. One of the two. Yeah. 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 Uh, Lanier, after this, goes to Marcus since Delenn insisted this was an internal affair and Marcus mm-hmm. is a ranger, so it stays internal. Oh, wait, no. No, that's not his excuse. No, Lanier must do more mental gymnastics than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Since... Marcus is not in the chain of command. He hasn't technically broken the promise, and Marcus might not tell. So, technically, it's okay. You are technically correct. The best kind of correct. This is... It's 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 right there, Lanier. He's a ranger. Dylan said it's an internal affair. They, she doesn't want to involve outsiders. You can tell Marcus. Your conscience is clear. Yeah. Yeah. Marcus has a great line in here about Lanier going to a martial artist who specializes in philosophy for his mental gymnastics. Yeah, it's true. As somebody, again, who's on season two, seeing Marcus just makes me smile. I'm a big Marcus fan. He's great, isn't he? I know not everyone is. I I love Marcus to death. He's great. I love him. He gets some of the best lines, and he has great delivery. Like, you can't not love it. It's got to be the biggest character upgrade in the history of sci-fi television from From Warren Kiefer. Yeah, yeah. To Marcus. I mean, the facial yeah. hair alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, the difference is JMS actually wanted to write one of them and didn't want to write the other one, so. Yeah. It's true. Uh, Lanier lays it all out for Marcus. Delenn is in trouble, and if anyone uses violence to preemptively stop violence, more violence will follow. By having a non-Mimbari challenge to ruin, no Mimbari on Mimbari violence will follow. Lanier is worried about a Mimbari civil war breaking out. Yeah, I think rightfully so. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine if a leading Republican and a leading Democrat fought to the death? <laughs> it's, it's happened in the United States Congress a couple times, not this century. Right. Yeah, it's been a long time, but... <laughs> when people yeah. say we're, we're tribalistic now, I'm like, people used to beat each other with canes on the House floor, so... Yeah, yeah. someone was killed in the Senate. <laughs> someone was literally beat to death in the Senate chamber, lest we forget. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Garibaldi is investigating here and uh, (laughs) he sees this creepy fucking doll. Okay, this is why I thought this episode was genuinely scary as a child. I can see this puppet right here. (laughs) Straight from Showbiz Pizza to Gray 17. Here we are. Yeah. I mean, in a Five Nights at Freddy, post Five Nights at Freddy world, this doll is scarier, admittedly. You're not supposed (laughs) to be here. This would have been when child's play only existed for laughs 
compared to now where dolls can be scary again. We've got, was it The Conjuring? What's the one with the dolls? There's Annabelle? Is that it? I'm not a I don't know. Guy. I can't help you. Yeah. I do, I do love the fact that now that we have Grey 17 is missing, that we've had both Chucky and Freddy on Babylon 5. Hmm. Hmm. Brad Dorth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So Garibaldi gets darted. There's a little bit here with the Mimbari in between, and then we come back, and he wakes up. And his Link is gone, his PPG is gone, and Robert England comes in. And his mm-hmm. first speech here is actually really good. I mean, he speechifies really well throughout yeah. the whole thing. It's the question of, like, what is he saying at some points? <laughs> it doesn't go off the rails too hard. JMS actually brought this up on the Usenets back in the day. And I I love how he, speaking of mental gymnastics, here's how JMS explains Jeremiah. Uh, He basically says, the Jeremiah thread was one of those things that looks great on paper, but when you get it onto camera, I don't know. It's one of those weirdnesses that happens in television. Sometimes you've got to, uh, you got what you think is an average script and it just roars to life on camera. And sometimes it looks like a great one on paper, but in real life, eh. I'm happy with all the other stuff in the episode, but the Jeremiah thread didn't come off as I sh- as it should have. Like, uh, JMS, did you really think it was great on paper? Did you? Yeah. The, the, the speech about, you know, all the Carl Sagan stuff, I, I can get behind that, but it only really worked for Carl Sagan. You know, we are the universe trying to understand itself, the whole, uh, mm-hmm. God, what was the name of that show? Cosmos. Cosmos, thank you. <laughs> A personal journey. Yeah. I love yeah. that show. Yeah, Same. I mean, uh, Robert England does a really good job, I want to say, as being a creepy mm-hmm. person. He comes off very creepy. Uh, He's a really yes. good actor. Yeah. yeah. He is. I mean, everyone knows him as, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street. But what I know him from being the 80s sci-fi kid is he was one of the visitors in V. Uh-huh. Uh, I always yes, remember he was. him playing that. Yeah. God, I love V. Yeah, V the miniseries is an amazing miniseries, and everyone should go check it out because probably... Most people haven't, but real talk, Scott, if you want to do a V podcast, I'm here. Dude, I'm in. Okay. Yeah. We should, we should actually, we'll talk about it on Twitter later, but we should actually do that. I'm in hundred (laughs) percent. Okay. I'm even a fan of V the final battle. Now the series. Did you like the remake? I only watched the first episode and I was one of those, it was cranky Scott times where I was like, this is not the original. I'm done. Yeah, Yeah. Okay. But that was like 20 years ago, so I may be willing to give it another shot. We'll, we'll maybe save it for our future podcast, because legit, we should do V. I would love to do a V podcast. You know where to find me, sir. Yep. Even if it's just the like limited run and we only do it for like 20 episodes or something, I'm here for it. I like this idea. Okay. So, back to Babylon 5. So, <laughs> Dylan and Sheridan are talking in between shuttles, and we learn a bit about Dylan's parents. Her mom is a monk, but her dad died of a broken heart, Padme Amidala style. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know I'm the Usenet guy, but somebody actually asked JMS, so what happened to Delenn's father? And JMS responded, and I quote, he croaked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all we got. Yeah. His yeah. broken heart is not over her mother, though. His broken heart is over the Earthman Bari War, right? Yes, it's I like... think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's he's yeah, existentially sad rather than just like mm-hmm. my partner is gone sad. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I mean, Delyn goes out of her way when Sheridan even says, "I'm sorry." He's like, "No, my mom going into whatever she went into is a point of honor." I mean, we miss her, but that was great mm-hmm. for the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she does tell a very touching story about knowing 
as a child, the the moment she accepted that her dad was going to one day die and how that was a moment for both of them that the father knowing and, and then the child knowing, and it totally didn't make me cry. Shut up. You're crying. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man in the moon. I, I forgot that line. And as a dad of three kids, I've been there, especially with my yeah. 12-year-old. That I've, yeah. I've, I've, I've had that moment where, Dad, put me on your shoulders. Man, I can't, honey. You've you're, you're, you're gotten too big. I can't. Oh, yeah. oh, oh. gut punch. And my son is on the smaller side for his age group, and I've been able to carry him a lot longer than other Mm -hmm. parents could carry their kids. And then when I got pregnant and I'm going to have a baby, like, can't do it at all anymore. And I was like, this is it. That's it. Mm, It's over. Never going to have that back. It's it's a, it's a, oh, (laughs) yep. No, I I felt that line. I felt that line. Jeremiah goes off a bit more here before Marcus confronts Darun. They both studied the staff under Duran, which is notable because in the novels, there is another named character who does study the Mimbari fighting staff under Duran. Any guesses? Scott, do you know? Did you read this one? I have not read the novels, believe it or not. Oh, no. I know. I've been I don't think I've read this novel. (laughs) Catherine Sakai. Oh, Actually, really? uh, went to ranger school at the same time as Marcus. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, yep. Yeah. I, I Wikipedia all the novels because you know I felt like I had to have some kind of understanding. So I do know Catherine like goes back in time to hang out with Jeffrey at the end. So yeah. <laughs> so that's to dream in the city of sorrows is the name of this novel. It was actually written by JMS's wife, mm-hmm. and it is a novel that he's gone out of his way to consider canon. When a handful of other novels, most of the other novels, have been stricken from canon. Really? Well, I mean, you can't kick your wife's work out of the canon. Like, yeah. Well, and the relationship he has with his wife is, you know, I mean, they're they're divorced now. But he, even in his autobiography, he says, like, they are the best of friends. And he made a promise to her when they both, you know, found, found steady employment. Because for years when they were married, they were living paycheck to paycheck. And he told her when he got the murder she wrote gig that he's like, you will never have to worry about living paycheck to paycheck again. And when he got a mutual divorce with her, he said, I'm going to live by that. So he still supports her. Not that she doesn't work herself, but he still supports her. So there's a loyalty there. Yeah. That's really nice. Yeah. Yeah, Catherine Sakai after season one, Delenn sets her up with Sheridan. She goes to ranger school she goes on a mission and dies on that mission. Kind of. It's a weird shadow device thing that she sabotages and it hmm. destroys an area of space and you don't really know what happens. Sinclair hangs out with Kosh and is just like, hey, will I ever see her again? And Kosh is like, maybe. <laughs> and then at the end of the novel, there is a letter from Valen that is found in the wreckage of Babylon 4. Hmm that confirms that somehow that device also took her back in time and they were able to live out their life together. Which which raises questions. And I know this is, has nothing to do with Grace 17 is missing, but yeah. I, you know, we, we, we were, we're led to assume that the reason why the triluminary glows for Delin and others is because they have Valen slash Sinclair DNA. So mm-hmm. how many people did Sinclair get with before Catherine showed back up? 
I think you're thinking about it wrong. I think oh. they used the device to also turn Catherine. Oh, see, there you go. Okay, see? I'm not thinking okay. inside the triluminary box. I got it. Yeah, there's no confirmation on that at all. The only, you just get that one kind of weird reference. It's like, he doesn't even say her name. It's like, she made it back somehow. She jo- was able to join me in the past, you know, and we were able to have our lives together. That's that like all sense. it says, very kind of obliquely. But that is now that would be my man. expectation. Thank you. Is that she would uh, <laughs> also be. Anyways, the ceremony begins as Marcus fights Narun. Garibaldi destroys the sets for fun. Rude. Marcus gets a good trip in on Narun, but Narun has his number. He just needs to know why he would do this. So we get a bunch of really fun shots in here that are very impractical with the melee fighting where there looks like they're almost striking the camera. That's mm. because they were striking the person behind the camera. Uh, the director of this episode was the director of photography for the entire series. He's also the guy in space TSA that Lanier lies to and says he's got that. He's dying of that sudden disease. Oh yeah. Same guy. guy. He's the director of photography for the entire series. He has more credits on episodes than JMS does writing credits for Babylon five. Dag. You know, and I'm glad you brought up him, John Flynn, because you can always tell when it's a John Flynn episode because the lighting's better. Like, you know, we <laughs> joked about the part where Ivanova goes down down below, but that lighting was like cinemat- cinema, cinema, cinematic <laughs> lighting. It just, it looked mm-hmm. good. You can definitely see a DP did it. Yeah, for sure. And so John Flynn actually shot these scenes and was yelling at Marcus to hit the actor, obviously to hit him, you know? And he actually ended up injuring himself while filming these scenes. That's commitment to a bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. No broken ribs, though, uh, which Naroon does not have that issue as he breaks three of Marcus's ribs. Yeah. Again, Naroon being the asshole you love to love, I've just broken two of your ribs. Oops. Mm-hmm. Three. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jeremiah gets his riffraff on. Say goodbye to all of this. And hello to oblivion. As they're talking, Garibaldi hears something, and Jeremiah tells us, It's a Zarg! Dun dun dun! The perfect predator we've never heard mentioned. The most deadly alien in the sector. Sectors are not that large in Babylon 5. Yeah. But it makes you think like like when they have like the boa constrictors down in Florida, people buy them as pets and then let them go. It's like, did somebody buy a baby Zarg? And then decide, oh, it's gotten too big for my quarters. I got to let it go. Yeah. Yeah, The Babylon 5 equivalent of Siegfried and Roy had one. (laughs) Awkward. I feel like the Nakaline feeder was better set up than this Zarg. It actually looked better too. It did. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. And it didn't look great. (laughs) That's another one of JMS's things he put out there back in the day. He actually said that, I want to go to everyone's house and apologize for how the Zarg looked. It was not what I intended. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that quote from the Usenet, and then there's another one from the season guide about the Zarg, which was, I should have learned my lesson about rubber suit monsters. I finally learned it with the Zarg. Yeah. <laughs> Would infection have been also been a rubber suit monster? For sure, yeah. 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 Shitty Mega Man? Yeah. I but yeah. you know what, at least with infection, they like the makeup they did on that one like took mm-hmm. time. You could see they cared. Yeah. They were on a very low budget. But this one is just mm-hmm. like, hey, we went over to Spirit Halloween and got a lizard costume and stuck him <laughs> in it. 
Yeah. And lit it. Some Freddy gloves, it looked like. Yeah, well, I, I think that was homage to Freddy. I absolutely think that was meant to be there. <laughs> right before we meet this uh, Zarg, Narun does roll in and seeds any claim calling Delenn Entelza. Yeah, sudden turn. Narun is a good asshole. Yeah. Garibaldi steam vents the Zarg as he casually pulls out a pocket full of bullets. And I'm yeah, just he... like, I'm so mad. I'm so mad at this scene. One, why are the bullets in your pocket and not in the case with the gun? Was the intention to keep them separate? And if the intention was to keep them separate, why did you have the bullets and the gun in the same location? Because earlier in this episode, you're like, oh, yeah, we don't use real guns in space because they just blow through the fucking hole. (laughs) And it's like, why do you have these two things anywhere near each other? I can understand having them both. But having them together, I was look. I was looking forward to this moment because you had earlier said he he practiced good trigger control and everything else. I'm like, oh, let's talk about the bullets. Let's do that. Let's talk about the bullets because he loads them six deep into a pipe, which then (laughs) fires them one at a time. (laughs) Yeah, through steam, somehow setting off. No. Well, he does say he's like either this is going to kill it or us. One of the two. I mean, accurate, yeah. It would do neither, because the steam would just warm up the bullets a bit. Even if it was very hot, you're still applying moisture to gunpowder. You have to have some pressure behind it, right? He needs to, there needed to be some way to cut off the steam, and then, I don't know. The physics just doesn't There's no way it could, if he had put one in at a time, you might have been able to tell me that it was the pressure launching a bullet but that is not these bullets are being fired yeah, there is an explosion the, the gunpowder like is going off yeah yeah, yeah. so the yeah, fact yeah. that they all fire individually and separately now reality even if the steam had the weight even if it could have worked even if it wasn't you tell you it's not water vapor it's sulfur vapor and it's supercharged and it's electrified or something that would make <laughs> it explode right it's going to fire the back bullet first because that's where it all is. Yeah, 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 yeah. <sighs> oh, it's so dumb. I'm so mad. I hate it so much. It is the worst part of this episode for me. This is the part where I had to pause, get up, and walk away. And that's saying a lot with this episode that that's the worst part for you. It is, yeah. <laughs> I have had episodes where it takes me two, three hours to get through the episode with notes, right? Mm -hmm. Just like, I have to stop. I've got to do something because I'm sitting here analyzing something that I hate or it's boring. That was not the case. I only need to get up the once with this episode. Before we get to our rating, I will give it at least that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so Lanier goes to find Marcus after we've shot the Zarg. He's in bad shape. He is. Lanier gets real with Delenn here. This is a lesson you need to learn. When you lead a military population, people will die. This yeah. is your job now as Ranger 1, is to send people to their death to save more lives. And Delenn, being someone who is driven at saving life at all costs, is yeah. going to have a real hard time with that. And Lanier knows that. Naroon pops in to tell Marcus that the battle to the death was fulfilled for a part of Naroon that was born out of hate did die. And then Marcus Aww. sasses him about it. Yeah. I love this. <laughs> yeah. 
This is classic Marcus. This is the stuff I love. Yeah. And classic Naroon. This is great for both of them. This is why I can't hate this episode. I mean, I jokingly say this is the worst episode of Babylon 5 ever, and that's why I named my podcast after it. But really, I can't <laughs> hate this episode because three-fourths of the episode is really good. All the Delenn, Neroon, Marcus stuff, really good. Mm-hmm. It's just the mm-hmm. Grey 17 shit that sucks. Well, it's we've got, gone, yeah. let's just, Garibaldi gets the correct amount of shit for effectively failing to prevent an assassination attempt uh-huh. to credits. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then we're there. That's the end of the episode. So, Scott, you're just talking about it. On a scale of Babylon's one to five, how do you rank this episode? First, I would rank it higher if we kept that scene going just a little bit longer and Sheridan would have decked the shit out of Michael for putting his feet on his desk. <laughs> that, that would have made it an extra point. This absolutely, because of the B plot, or I guess it's A plot because it's the title of the episode, is, in my opinion, the worst episode of Babylon 5. That being said, only the B plot or A plot or whatever you want to say. So I'm going to give it a two, a dose. All right. Laura? I I also give it a two. Same kind of reasons. Part of it is that I remembered this being really spooky and really scary. And then when Jeremiah just starts babbling, I was like, oh, wait, (laughs) no. (laughs) Fire's remorse. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I was like, nope, nope. I thought this was a good one. I thought it was really intense. It is not. It is not just an effects thing. Sometimes it, the things I remembered as really intense, they don't look as intense now because we're used to better special effects, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're used to yeah. something that looks better. Creepy Puppet is still creepy. The rest mm-hmm. of it, not that, not great. <laughs> What if the Zarg was the puppet? Like it started walking around and like that's what eats the cult members. I'd be okay yeah. with that. I'm here for that. I'd watch that episode, 100%. This episode for me, honestly, it is not the worst episode of Babylon 5. Yeah, I think I, Walkabout I think is the worst either. episode than this. Well, that's because you just watched it. It's, it's That's fresh, true. It's fresh in your mind. Mm, yeah. It is fresh in my mind. I'm going to go ahead and put this at a 2.5 out of 5. Cheater. Ooh. Breaking out the controversial out the decimals. on this podcast. Well, it is controversial. One point to Naroon, one point to Marcus, and a half point to Lanier. And mm. that's where I'm sitting. And that's it. Honestly, it's the A plot is B movie so bad it's entertaining. And I was entertained by just about every minute of this episode when I wasn't so furious at gun physics that I had to stand up and walk away. Besides that, Everything with this episode was at the very least entertaining, even if it wasn't good. I I think there's a version of this story that you could do with the A-plot, Grey 17 is missing, that would be really spooky and entertaining and like very engaging. I think that you could reboot this better somehow. I think that JMS has been rebooting this episode in his head long before he dreamed of a Babylon 5 reboot. And that yeah. if the reboot does happen and they do this episode, there there will be a version of this episode that is the scariest fucking thing you have ever seen. Yeah. It is gonna be a it is gonna be a fucking masterpiece because he has spent 20, 30 years obsessing over how to make this better because <laughs> he hates this episode. He he hates this episode, but it was one of his ideas that he's been he would want he wanted to do for years. Mm-hmm. He's like, I really want to do this episode. 
and he decided, okay, if I don't do it right now, I'm going to move into the Shadow War uh, mm-hmm. and all of that. So I got to I got to do it now. So this is the last chance I'm going to get before we really get crazy. So I got to put it in there. So he was excited for this episode mm-hmm. and the idea. I love the idea here, though. I mean, like, one of the things that people ask to this day, 30 years later, is how does the layout of B5 work? So maybe one of your first episodes of the reboot is mm-hmm. this episode. Yeah. And it's like, we'll start talking about decks and the makeup of the station. I can see this. Honestly, in HBO Max prestige television version of this, uh-huh. mm-hmm. yeah. I'm here for it. Uh-huh. With, the, with the budget? Yeah, for sure. The Zarg All the fog be... machines you ever wanted. <laughs> Just as long as they get the bullet science right, you'll be fine, right? Oh, fucking, they better. Oh, the, That <laughs> so will be mad. first on the list, I'm sure. But <laughs> if we can bring back the creepy puppet, the exact creepy puppet, I would be The delighted. same puppet? That would be yes. delightful. Agreed. You know somebody stole that from set. Somebody had to have stolen that. You don't let that yeah. go to the dumpster. Somebody yeah. has that puppet. I hope that they didn't just neglect it for 30 years and that it's like in a glass case in someone's house. I will yeah. say that Warner Brothers was extremely hardcore about stealing props. So we we, we chatted with Peter Jurisic and he begged to be able to take any prop and Warner Brothers made him fill out like requests in memo form and then they finally denied him so he just stole something. But I mean, so <laughs> they, they kept a lot hope, of that stuff. I hope he has set. a coat. I hope he's got one of the coats. Uh, he claims he wasn't able to get a coat. He was able to yeah. get one of the gods. Yeah. Okay. 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 That's yeah. fun too. Not that's, Lee, that's the goddess of passion, show. though, a different god. Okay. Um, but that's the one that matters. <laughs> and somebody stole the Sinclair Aviation thing. So that again, mm-hmm. I did throw mm-hmm. out as we were recording on Twitter. If anyone wants to get that for my birthday, <laughs> I'm totally out. gonna recreate that because that Sinclair that aircraft so sign, you can get just that little bit of it. Mm-hmm. on Amazon for like 20 bucks. Because it, it, it used to be a company, right? Sinclair yeah. Aviation yeah. was a real company. It is right? a company. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're a real company. Part of Sinclair Not Oil. based out or... of England. Yeah. They're ba- Yeah, Sinclair Oil. They're based out of Texas. They make aircraft as well. Yep. All right, so next week we've got season two, episode 20, and The Rock cried out, no hiding place. Is it I want to do over... <laughs> do you want to change the episode? I want to not be on this one and be on <laughs> Rock cried out. Can I do that? <laughs> Because, man, I, I feel like episode. I got gypped on episodes. <laughs> I asked you. <laughs> I know, I know. You shouldn't have made it your namesake, man. This, I know. Yeah, if your podcast was in The Rock Cried Out No Hiding Place. I'm Just starting to question life choices now. <laughs> oh, I can't believe we're already there. I know, right? Lando uses Jakar and Veer in a deadly scheme to gain power in the Centauri Royal Court. Sheridan deciphers a key shadow strategy. That's our episode description. It is very underwhelming for what happens in this episode. Yeah. I'm so excited. One of the best scenes in TV, in Uh, my opinion, is in this next episode. I can't wait. Listener, uh, you will probably think, hey, that that title sounds familiar. It does. (laughs) You definitely will not thump this episode. Haha. Yeah. All right. Well, Scott, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, for this the... was a pleasure. Worst Thank you for setting up the League of Non-Aligned Podcasts for yes! the record. That's so much fun. Um, it is a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. It's it's a great forum. I always have a lot of fun doing those. So why don't you tell us about Gray 17 a little bit? Where can we find your podcast? Yeah, let's start out with the League, though. 
So League of Non-Aligned Podcast, we've got you guys, we've got mm-hmm. Gray17 and several others. We've done two shows so far. One talked about the reboot a lot, and the second one we just put out dealt with the 30th anniversary. So I would recommend first you check out that one because there's some great Babylon 5 podcasts out there, and it's really fun to hear them all chat together. And actually, we've got a waiting list of people who want to be on the third one. I think mm-hmm. when the uh, when the Babylon 5 secret project gets released, we'll have to get back together and chat about that. Yeah, which will sure. be July. Honestly, now that you're newbies, because there's so many newbie podcasts right now mm-hmm. that it's difficult to talk about stuff. I would love to do either character recaps once you guys are all past certain characters and we could talk yes. about characters for an hour. Or if you want to do big season get togethers oh, with I all like the watch along podcasts, once you guys are caught up. We could do that as well. That'd be a lot of fun. See, we're, we're making lists here. You're gonna, you're killing more of my nights is what you're doing, and I like it. So, <laughs> uh, And then for us, we are Gray 17 Podcast. You can find us on all your podcast apps of choice, as well as on YouTube. And as we've kind of already mentioned, I've got a large group of 10 hosts, and it's I swear it's not as crazy as it sounds, where we have <laughs> quite a few newbies watching B5 for the first time, including some newbies who have never even watched sci-fi before. So I love it because we get to see Babylon 5 through fresh eyes. And then for those who have watched B5, like myself, way too much, we do stick around after the credits and we talk spoilers as well, too. So you can get a little bit of both. And again, you can find us on any podcast app as well as YouTube. And we're in season two right now, so it's getting crazy. We just recorded yeah. Acts of Sacrifice last night. So Ooh. Yeah, that's a good one. And by a good one, I mean we had feelings about that episode. I have no doubt. <laughs> It's got one of my favorite characters, and uh, he returns down the road. So I don't know if he's has he shown has Talon shown up for you guys yet again. I can't remember anymore. Um, the Narn with the sword. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's got one of my favorite characters, Talon, who's played yeah. by Marshall Teague. And yeah. so every time Talon shows up, I'm a happy camper. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you to Jeremy Siegel for our lovely theme music. You can find more of Jeremy Siegel's work at jeremysiegel42.bandcamp.com. And then also Jeremy's doing the album a month thing. And we're recording right now. It's the end of February. So be sure to hop on Spotify. And it's on Apple Music too. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Nuclear Jaguar. And February. Thank you, Nuclear Jaguar. Awesome. I haven't listened to it yet, but I'm going to do that very shortly. Thank you to Angry Duck Time Machine on Instagram for our podcast artwork. Thank you to Aaron for editing our podcast. We really appreciate your contribution and the time you put in in making sure that we actually have a podcast that gets to air. And Aaron, I apologize in advance because you're going to have to edit more because of me than ever before, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, no. Don't don't think it that you <laughs> caused anything. Just trust us. No, this is, this is actually a pretty low edit episode for us, probably. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, thanks to everyone who listens to our podcast. We appreciate the shit out of you. If you like the podcast, you want to give us a review, we'll read it eventually. We're bad at that. We're bad at social media, too, but we're on there. The Twitter, I check, like, maybe every other day. Our Facebook, we're a little bit more active on. But the big place is the Twitter. Or not the Twitter. Fuck the Twitter. Fuck Elon Musk. The big place is the Discord, where our community is interacting and talking on an almost daily basis about all kinds of random stuff. And then also our email, whoareyoub5 at gmail.com. We are probably already recorded our season recap episode by the time this airs. Yeah, maybe so. So I think this one airs at the end of March. So yeah. Oops. It's too late to send us your thoughts on season three. 
but we really appreciate it anyways. We'll read your letter in the next mailbag segment. Well, that's it. Have a good night, Internet. Bye.